Hey there, Southside. It's Colin. I'm so excited to share God's word with you today. We are continuing our look at the book of Ephesians, and we're asking the question as we go through this book, what is the church? Such an important question for this moment that we're in, when so many of our normal ways of doing church and being the church are totally out the window, and we're trying to figure out how do we be the church right now? We have to ask the question, what is the church? And the book of Ephesians has some amazing answers to that question. Last week, we saw the answer that when we first think of the church, church, we need to think of Jesus Christ, that we are his. What we're going to see today is that we are different. Also an amazing point. And I want to start my talk today with a quote from one of my favorite authors. He's an old guy who's been dead a long time, G.K. Chesterton. He said, certain new theologians dispute original sin, which is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. I love this quote because it applies so well to a time like this time that we're in right now. Original sin that he's talking about there is this only doctrine of Christian theology that can be proved is this doctrine that there is something wrong with the world. Original sin means that there is something with the world that is not the way that it's supposed to be. There's something wrong with you and me. That sin or rebellion against God has defaced and vandalized God's good design for this world that we live in. God created it good, but sin makes it so it's not the way it's supposed to be. That's original sin. And what G.K. Chesterton is hinting at here is that there is always, all around us, so much evidence for that very fact. For the fact that there is something about this world that is not the way that God designed it to be. There's something wrong with the world. The evidence is everywhere. And especially right now, we can point to things like COVID, like racial injustice, riots in major cities. And that's just the top of the news cycle. There are so many countless other things that are always going on that aren't quite as loud. But those things remind us that something is wrong with this world. And those big moments that are external to us, those cause unrest within us that lead to even greater problems. People right now are deeply anxious. We're full of uncertainty and angst as these various news stories unfold in new and terrifying ways every single day. People are highly reactive right now. We're ready to get mad at the drop of a hat. We are so easily ticked off by the smallest of things. People are focused inwardly right now. We're focused on my needs, my rights, my desires, what I want, the way that I have planned things to be. We are rigid and unbending, completely unwilling to hear any different opinions. We're ready to go into battle for things that we didn't care about two weeks ago and things that really, at the end of the day, don't really matter. And then finally, just to sum it up, we are sick and tired and ready for change. And I know you hear me when I say that. We are sick and tired of this moment, of all these things that we're dealing with, and we want some normalcy, some change, something to make us feel better because everywhere we look, we're reminded of this one truth that is not only in the Bible, but is so clear when we look around our world which is that things are not the way they're supposed to be. I think we could really easily sum up what it feels like to live in this moment in history, in our country, in our community right now. We could sum it up by saying we need something different. 
we need something different. What we have right now is not working for us. What we have right now is not fulfilling those needs that we have. We want something. We need something different. And what we're going to see in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 today is not only why we need something different, but something different that God offers to us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in the city of Ephesus, says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I want to stop with just these first few verses because I think they so eloquently and powerfully portray the fact that we do need something different. These are meant to describe to us the status quo, the actual lived experience of people in this world during this time. And the rest of the passage is going to be this alternative, this difference that that God offers to us But I want to stop right here and recognize that the Apostle Paul, that the Holy Spirit speaking through him knows that we need something different. He knows that something is broken in this world, and he explains to us what that is. We are unable to escape sin. We need something different, first and foremost, because sin is absolutely inescapable in this world that we live in. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is really an interesting thing that Paul is saying here. He goes right for it. He says, without Jesus Christ, without God in your life, being disconnected from him is like being dead. It's like being a dead person. When you are trapped in the trespasses and sins of your old life apart from Jesus Christ, It's like being dead. We're going to go deeper into what that means. But first of all, we want to know that we're absolutely unable to escape sin. We're unable to resist it. It is like we are enslaved to it. It is like we are dead to any other possibility of any other kind of life. Another reason why we need something different is because we are immersed in sin. And that's part of why we can't escape it is just that it's ubiquitous. It's all around us. It is the air we breathe. It is the water that we swim in. Look at verse 2. He says that we were following the course of this world. What an interesting phrase he uses there. To say we're dead in our trespasses and sins because we're following the course of this world. Which is just a reminder that this is the normal way of doing business in the world. That we are surrounded by sin. The normal course of this world is this original sin. Is this fact that we are dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And then look again at verse 2 at the next couple of phrases. He says, not only were you following the course of this world, but you were following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so these two titles here are really interesting. He says that we were following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And both of these titles refer to the same person, and that's Satan. 
our spiritual enemy, the very first rebel against God's ways and God's rule. Satan, an angel created by God to serve him and to glorify him, who instead rebelled against God, choosing to try to live on his own. The very same Satan who, as a serpent in the garden, tempted the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and thus introduced sin into the created order, into the earth that we now live in. What Paul is saying here is that when we choose to live lives of rebellion against God, when we choose to live for ourselves, we are allying ourselves with Satan, with his act of rebellion, with his regime of fighting against God's power and authority and love and grace and mercy. We become just like Satan in our rebellion against him. And so we are immersed in sin, We need something different because sin is inescapable, and it's inescapable because it's all around us, but much more than that, it's also within us. This passage also tells us that we are sinful by nature. It's not just something that floats all around us, but it's something that is in our very beings. Look at verse 3. Paul says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so what Paul tells us here is that it's part of our nature. It's not part of how God designed us to be, but ever since sin first came into the world, because it is so ubiquitous, because it is all around us, and because it is in us, we are by nature sinners. Or as he says, by nature, children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Without God's intervention, we are completely and always going to be predisposed to sin. We are always going to want to rebel against God, against his rule, and instead institute ourselves as our own petty judges of our own lives. To be sinful by nature doesn't necessarily mean that we're all as bad as we could be apart from God, but it does mean that anyone who is separated from God is under the curse of sin. Anyone who is under that curse of sin has no ability to please God, to come into his presence, to have fellowship with him. We are sinful by nature. We are immersed in it. It is the air we breathe. It is the water we swim in. It is inescapable. And so, Lord knows we need something different. We need something different from this natural order of things. And the good news is that when the world needs something different, as Christians, we are different. We are different. God, in this world that is, set up, that is uh, absolutely straying away from him, that is fighting against him, that is rebelling against his rule at every moment, God has created in this world a people who are set apart from that sinful way a people who are made to be different, to offer an alternative, to say it doesn't have to be that way. It can be different. You can be different. You can have something else. And this being, this body, this community is called the church. The church is God's idea to set certain people apart from that hopelessness, that bleak picture we just saw in the first few verses. And I want to pause here. And I want to recognize something that's really important when we talk about something like this. Whenever we teach that Christians are different from the world around us, a couple problems come up with that. 
And the first one is really the obvious one, which is that it can sound really bad. It can sound like we're saying not only that we are different, but because we are different, it seems like by implication we're saying that we are better, that we are better than the other people in the world, that we have found something out that they don't know, that we have achieved something that they can't, that we are more worthy or more powerful or more moral or stronger or some other good thing that they don't have. And when we talk like that, it's not going to make us any friends. And so hold on to that. It sounds bad, but also... The real problem with this is that it's not always true. Time and again, I see these stories come out, these statistics come out that tell me that the same sins that are rampant, that are constantly perpetuated by people outside the church, continue to have a stronghold inside the church. I mean, how many times have you seen a story where some preacher or some music artist, some high-profile Christian that you know of, that you love, that you care about, has fallen because they've fallen prey to some temptation that not only exists outside the church, but found its way into their own lives. All too often, when we as a church might say we are different, the world looks at us and says, no, you're not. You're just like everyone else. And that's where we come to be victim, come to actually receive sometimes some well-merited accusations of hypocrisy. And so what I want to ask is, if that's the case, then in what sense is the church of Jesus Christ different from the rest of the world? And here's the answer that Paul actually gives us, that Jesus makes us different. Jesus makes us different. It's not so much that there's something special about you or about me. It's not so much that we were able to accomplish something that the rest of the world wasn't. The only thing that makes us different in this world is Jesus Christ. Look at verses 4 to 6, where Paul, after painting this bleak and dark picture of this world that we live in, after thoroughly convincing us that we need something different from what we have right now, then says two extremely important and powerful words. He says, but God. He says, all of this stuff that came before, now I'm going to address it and say, but God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This passage, these few verses are so powerful because what they tell me is that yes, the church is different from this world that we live in, that we get to be this alternative to the hopelessness and the darkness of the world that that Paul drew out for us in verses 1 through 3. But also, the only reason that we are different is because Jesus Christ is different and because we, by faith, get to be united to him. Jesus is different. Jesus is different. He's the only person to have ever lived in this sinful world and to remain unstained by it. That he walked through this same world that we walk through. That he lived through this same world that we live in and yet he came out of it without giving in 
to the temptations and to the darkness and to the evil in this world. He is the only one to ever wear human flesh as you and I do and yet not be subject to its darkness, to its original sin, and not to be complicit in the wickedness in this world. Paul tells us something amazing. He tells us this Jesus, who is so different, has given you the opportunity to be made like him. We are different because Jesus is different. Jesus makes us different. He says that in his death and his resurrection, he offers us the opportunity to be made like him, to receive his goodness and his holiness and his perfection. Here's how Paul says it in verses 8 and 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so what we see again is we are made different not by anything that we do, but only as a gift of God that comes through faith. And because it is a gift of God, because we didn't do anything to make ourselves different, we can't boast about being different. And so this is where we come down to that accusation to say, you say you're different, but I look at at your life and I look at the life of the people outside the church and I don't see a whole lot of difference. Well, we may say, yes, that is a problem, but on the other hand, we're different because Jesus is different. Of course, in a lot of ways, we're going to look like the rest of the world because in a lot of ways, we are the rest of the world. As Paul says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were separated from God. We followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in us, the sons of disobedience. We were that. The only thing that's changed in us is that we now belong to Jesus who actually is different. We are different, but only because Jesus is different. This newness of life, this new humanity, this different option in Jesus Christ is therefore not something that we receive with pride and arrogance, but something we receive with fear and trembling, knowing that we absolutely don't deserve it. There's one other thing this passage teaches us about being different as the church, and it's that Jesus makes us different to make a difference. Jesus has made us different for the purpose that we can now make a difference in our world, in our communities, in our context that we live in. Look at verse 10. Paul says, We are his, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says we are Christ's workmanship. Literally, that means that we are Jesus' creation, that he has made us to be something different from the status quo in this world. He has crafted us as his church, as his people, to offer something different to this world. And then look what he says. He says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which just a moment ago we heard that we're not created as a church to be different by good works, by our own good works, but that we are made different for good works. And so in other words, it's not that we do good works and that makes us different from the world, but it's actually instead that God makes us different and then enables us to go out and do those good works. And here is what Paul says those good works are. Look at verses 4 through 7. 
He says, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so God makes us alive with Christ. He raises us from the dead. He, he, we no longer have to be the walking dead. We no longer have to be dead in our sins. And in order that, he can demonstrate his grace and his kindness and his love to the world through us. I have to tell you, Southside, this is an absolutely inspiring account of what we get to be as the church. We are made different by Jesus Christ so that we can make a difference in this world. And I want to tell you, there's really no better way to make a difference in this world. Sure, you can do good things, you can meet needs, you can have an effect in this world apart from God, but there is nothing so lasting, so powerful, and there is nothing that can actually be said to be the hope of our world except for the difference that Jesus Christ makes through us. And I believe if we're going to be a church that does that, if we're going to be a church that makes that difference, then we need to make a shift. And last week we talked about the shift from being an institution to being an expedition. And what I want to add today is that if we're going to be different, we need to make a shift from seeing ourselves as separate from the world, a shift from separation to contrast. And I actually think Southside's been pretty good at this in the past. I think that because we have been a center for life change, because uh, in our church so many people have come together and we just have an amazing humble character about us, we really do live out this attitude of Jesus Christ in so many ways. I have been continually inspired and amazed, just floored, and so proud of our church. Because in so many ways, we've been able to sidestep the temptation that happens in so many churches where people get puffed up with pride, where they think that they're greater than they are, when they start thinking other people should serve them instead of them taking the form of a servant like Jesus Christ. And so I am so proud of our church. But I want to give us a warning here that I think during this time, there is a tremendous temptation for us specifically to see ourselves as more and more separated from, opposed to, and even in contradiction with the world around us. There is a tremendous temptation, and I've been alarmed at how much I've heard Christians and seen Christians talk about their rights. Make it sound like we are at war with the world around us. Well, Paul tells us later in this very same letter that our war as Christians, if there is a war, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings, but it's against that spirit of rebellion against God in this world. And the way that we make war against that is by preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and loving others in his name when I hear Christians talking about their rights, these are my rights, they're being taken away. When I hear this attitude that we are threatened and that we have to stick together, that we have to stand up, that we have to wage war, I have to tell you, it's not meant to be this way. If we really believe that Jesus is what makes us different and that he is the way people are saved from sin and death 
and hell, then hear me, Christians, we cannot be separate from this world. There is nothing darker or more evil or more wicked to believe that there is a Lord and master of this world who wants a relationship with people that can save them from hell and condemnation and then to say, so we need to go be separate and make sure that we don't mingle with anyone else. People need to hear the message of Jesus. And if we're separate, then they never will. But if we're going to show that Jesus is different, then we have to be different. If we're going to go to people and tell them that we have a new way of being in the world, that we have a new answer for the old problem of sin and death, for the old problem of hopelessness, then we have to be people who live lives that are different. But in order to be different in such a way that people can see that difference and know that it comes from Jesus, we have to be with them. And so we need to stop being separate. We need to stop saying that we need to huddle together and hide ourselves away and protect ourselves and keep this treasure to ourselves. And instead, we do need to be different, but we need to be contrasting. We need to go out into the world and to participate in this world to the absolute fullest. We need to know our neighbors and love the people that we come into contact with. We need to feed the hungry and care for the poor. We need to be present in the lives of those people who so badly need a different story, a different way of being in the world, because otherwise they will never, ever find it. We are different so we can make a difference. Let's take that transition from being separate to being a contrast in this world even as we live in it. Let me close with this. Rachel and I, my wife Rachel and I, we really love hiking and we love camping. And uh, we try to go camping in the national parks and kind of around Spokane um, as much as we can. And when we go, we like to go hiking. Usually we will take day hikes. Um, We haven't been quite as ambitious to do a lot of backpacking, um, but we really like the day hikes. And so uh, I've noticed though that I don't think I'm very good at hiking. And you may think, how can you be bad at hiking? Because it's literally walking in style, right? It's walking in the outdoors. um, And yet, I don't think I'm very good at it. I found a way to be bad at something like that. And it's that I tend to get lost. And I don't even know if I would call it lost, but it's like when you're hiking, and especially when you're hiking in like a, a national park, you can often come across forks in the road. You'll come to a place when there's one path going one way and there's another path going another way and usually there's like a little sign that has like a tiny like Bible font size number on it and you have no idea what that number means and then you look at your trail map and those are usually useless and I can't figure out which way is north because I don't have a compass and who knows and so basically you come down to this choice which way are we going to go and the reality is it has huge consequences for the rest of my day and in some ways for the way that the rest of my day is going to go for my wife depending on which way we choose to go. If we go one way and we find out that it's the right way, then we get back in time, we can go back to the campsite, we can relax, we can have fun, it'll be smiles and laughter all the way. If we go the other way and we get lost and we can't find the trail, or we just keep going and it starts to get dark and we have to turn back and hike all the way back where we came from, the day is not going to be so good. Because I am going to be very angry at myself for taking the wrong turn, and so it's going to lead to a lot of very bad things. The way that you choose to go has a huge impact on how things go from there on. And Southside, I want to say that right now we're at a fork in the road. 
We are at a crossroads. We have right now to make the decision, which way do we want to go? In this moment, do we want to see this time as an opportunity? Or do we want to see it as a threat? Will we be the church that sat on our butts throughout this? Who kept to ourselves uh, in, in, until we could go back to business as usual? Worse, will we be the church that looked inward and huddled together to protect ourselves and to hide ourselves away? Will we be the church that decided we're going to ride this out? We're going to insist on our rights. We're going to take care only of ourselves. Will we be separate from this world? Or will we be the church that fed the hungry, that preached the good news, that cared for the least of these, that humbled ourselves, that showed grace under pressure, that forgave those who oppose us, the church that fought the good fight of the faith in a time that none of us have ever seen before? Will we be engaged in this world and yet still be contrasting? Will we be different? And perhaps most importantly, if our church chooses to go that way, will you come with us? Let's pray. Father, I want to pause and ask that anyone watching this would just take a moment to hear from your spirit. God, I do believe everything I just said there, that we are in an absolutely unprecedented time, and yet there's an opportunity in this moment. God, I pray that you would use this time, as you already are, to show us different ways of being the church in this world. God, lead us to go deeper and deeper to see this opportunity that you've put before us. But God, I do, I want to speak to the individual now. I want to speak to the man or woman who is watching this video, who is praying with me right now, who has heard this message. And God, I do pray that you would just inspire that person. God, I pray that your spirit would just be overwhelming in their life right now. God, I pray that as we go to worship, they would just feel absolutely inspired and motivated to see this opportunity that you've given us to be different and by being different to make a difference. God, you're so good. And we are so humbled to know that you've chosen us, fallen, sinful as we are, to be united to your son and to be your plan for doing some amazing things in this world. God, as we go to worship, lead us, be with us, and guide us into your presence to sense that presence in a deeper and more powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.